and welcome back to another episode of the Apologetics.com radio show. My name is Jason Gallagher, and here at Apologetics.com, we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. And I'm in studio tonight with my good friends, Mr. Tony Yu. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing all right. How are you? Evangelist extraordinaire. I'm doing good. Thank you so much. And Daniel Adrian. Hello. The one, the only. <laughs> Good friend. Thank you. Um, we just wanted to let you guys know that tonight's show is sponsored by the Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. That is a church that I am a deacon at, and so is uh, my brother Daniel. And we meet Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. to gather and worship and uh, hear from our wonderful pastor, Paul Vigiano. And every week... Uh, Every week, every Sunday after service, around 12.30 or so, we have a live question and answer where you are able to ask any question you would like to our pastor about uh, the sermon, about the Bible, about Christianity, uh, or any other topic relating to the Christian faith. It's one of my favorite uh, parts of our Sunday morning. Uh, Recently, about a couple weeks ago, uh, I had the privilege of engaging with a gentleman named Tom Jump. Some of you guys may or may not have heard of him. He is a fairly prolific atheist YouTuber in the sense that he uploads lots and lots of videos and conversations with all kinds of different believers, uh, Christian, um, Hindu, uh, Catholics. Uh, Tom has these conversations uh, really asking questions about uh, reasons people have for believing in God. And, um, you know, I had the opportunity a couple Sundays ago to have a conversation with him as well. And it was a great conversation, had a lot of fun doing it. And you could find that conversation on YouTube.com under Tom Jump's video page. I think it's called T-Jump. And we were going to recap that conversation tonight, and uh, with Tom, he agreed to come on the show, and we could kind of just dig into some of those topics a little bit more in depth. You know, when we're having these conversations, sometimes you don't get to uh, always cover topics as much as you might like to, or you might even think of things after the fact that uh, maybe you could have said differently, or maybe you could have said a little better. Uh, at least that's how it goes for me. I'm sure you know Tom may or may not agree with that. Um, but I think we have Tom on the air tonight. Tom, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. I can't hear you super loud, um, but hopefully the audience can hear you a little bit better. Yeah, you're coming through quiet on my end, too. Okay. Well, I can hear you well enough. Um so thanks for calling in, man. It's a late night for you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Hopefully. I appreciate you coming on my show for this fun conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, I did want to throw out our number. We are a listener-supported show. Um, for anyone out there who is interested in giving to this ministry, all of us are unpaid uh, volunteers, unpaid staff. Uh, we just have a heart to share uh, God's Word with people and to defend the Christian faith and, uh, you know, the claims of Scripture. 
So you could always go to our website, apologetics.com, where you can give. Uh, you could catch us on Facebook and also on iTunes podcasts, apologetics.com radio show. But our number, because uh, we exist for you listeners to call in and engage with. And if you'd like to ask Tom Jump some questions tonight, I'm sure he'd be open for that. He loves to do that. Um, I think that's a fair statement. So call us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. And so, Tom, you know, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Um, you know, after we had our conversation online, you have tons of conversations all the time with lots of different people. Um, you know, how do you process these conversations after you have them? Do you ever reflect on them is it just kind of like a one and done type thing or do you think through them a bit and think of um you know the arguments you made and how you might have uh you know said something maybe more clearly or differently or you know what is your basic uh post-game analysis so to speak when when you debate or converse with people yeah absolutely so i definitely go through what i think my arguments were and try to improve on them to make them better to be able to articulate my points more clearly that's essentially the main goal of the conversation is to go over the points here different perspectives and wordings from different people about the main arguments and then see if i can change my phrasing to make it clear for every different person that i talk to because each individual understands things differently and so having a kind of argument that can reach the most people is uh, paramount in being good at debate and conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, have you had a chance to reflect on the conversation we had? Or have you thought much about it? Or Yeah, a bit. There are a few things I definitely thought about. Okay, what are, from your perspective, what were maybe some of, um, you know, the main things that stood out to you maybe in terms of, uh, you know, strong arguments or maybe not so strong arguments? What were... What were some of the highlights from your from your perspective? Um, well, when I was reviewing it, the things that stood out to me, usually I'm reflecting on what I did worse. So I'm usually not looking at your points as much. I'm trying to think about what I explained badly. So I think that when I was watching it, the things that initially stood out to me was uh, focusing on the I think therefore I am. I don't think I explained the main point of why that's important very well. And... I don't think I explained how thoughts have weight very well. Those are the things I was really focusing on when we watched the debate. So mm. those are the things that were the most important and that stood out to me the most during that debate. Right on. Yeah, those are some interesting points. Yeah, we didn't really get to camp out on the I think, therefore, I am too much. Um, and I do think that's kind of the that's kind of the topic that threw us into – um, you know, what are thoughts, you know, and then we started down down that road of um, thoughts having weight or not. Um, so just for the listener's sake, uh, my basic uh, conversation kind of outline when I was talking to Tom was basically starting from Romans chapter one, um, which basically says in summary form or paraphrasing that um, that God's existence is clearly seen being understood through the things that have been made right through creation and and that men are without excuse and men suppress the truth about him in their unrighteousness and therefore when they do that it says that they're i'm getting a little echo here not sure if you could hear me 
Still there, Tom? Hey, Jared, I'm getting an echo, man. Um, I'm not sure if you're hearing that. I was just hearing an echo, sorry. Um, so my basic premise was that when people reject God, the, the Bible says that their, their thinking becomes futile, right? And so um, my first point was that uh, God's existence is self-evident, and after that, when people reject God or suppress the truth about him, what is clearly seen, that in their thinking they become unable to really make coherent sense of reality or existence. Some of the fundamental questions such as, you know, what exists or how did things come into existence or how did life begin or how should we live, how should we treat each other, you know, ethics, morality, um, meaning, purpose, and where are we going when we die? You know, those sort of fundamental questions um, don't seem to have coherent answers when you start from a perspective that doesn't include God. And then Tom and I um, kind of went down some design conversations. We talked about, um, you know, designs and, you know, this idea of these caves and these cave structures. And then we talked about laws and, and the laws that govern these sort of things in reality. Um, but, Tom, let's go to your – let's go to a couple of your points first and then maybe we could circle back to some of those other points. Um, you know, you mentioned I think, therefore I am. Um, and I think that that came into our conversation when we were talking about uh, knowledge. And I think, you know, one, one question was, you know, how much knowledge do we have? And you mentioned that you have maybe, you know, a fraction, 0.0001% maybe of all available knowledge. Um, and my kind of line of reasoning was, well, if you have that small amount of knowledge, how can you be certain about something? Could it be possible that uh, something that you discover down the road could contradict uh, something that you believe to be true today? And I think your answer was, you know, there are certain things that you cannot be um, in error about or incorrect about. And one of them was your own existence. So I think that's where that came in. So you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, this is one of the points that I don't think I explained as well as I should have. The point of this is that the best grounds of knowledge is, I think, the point of this grounds of knowledge as compared to starting with the position that God exists is a significantly better grounds of knowledge because it can't be wrong. Whereas I see the belief in a God as being clearly possible to be wrong, like you could be deluded by an evil demon or misunderstand the beliefs you have or whatever. And so your belief that there is a God could be wrong, whereas the belief that I exist can't be wrong. There's no way that a demon could make my belief I exist incorrect, because if I believe I exist, I must exist to hold the belief in the first place. So that is, as a starting point, that is the, from my perspective, the best starting point for knowledge. And then we can build off of that and get less certain knowledge after that, but there is no greater starting point. There's no more reliable starting point than that. And then everything built off of that, from my worldview, would have a better foundation than your worldview, from my perspective. I think it would be more likely to be correct. All, all of the facts I know about reality would be more likely to be correct because it's grounded in a much more solid ground of knowledge. Okay. So do you believe a Christian could also have that same... Um they could say that they're, they believe that same statement as you. I think, therefore, I am. Um, do you sure. think? I imagine most people would. Okay. Um, 
And then from a Christian perspective, I would say, you know, the fact that, you know, we do exist, right, then points to the question, the natural question, I think, is, well, how did, how did we come into existence, right? So even yeah. if let's – just, let's just say that, you know, I think therefore I am is a starting point for um, understanding your own existence – um, but it's still the next question. You know, one of the basic questions is how did how did we come to exist? Sure. I mean, yeah. There's lots of questions that would follow from that. But the question would be like, when are you bring this up when addressing presuppositionalism, the idea that God is the best starting point for knowledge? And I, I usually reject that and say the cognitive. I think that I am is the best starting point for knowledge. So the only point of that isn't to say that there are obviously lots of other questions we don't know the answer mm-hmm. to and can follow from that. But this is the better starting point. You start with, I think, before I am, and then try to build off of that to get to a god or not god or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can't just start with the god, because that isn't as certain. It's not as good of a ground of knowledge as the god. In fact, I'd say it's a pretty bad one. But. Okay. I would just say, how does I think, therefore I am, help you answer questions, like basic questions, such as how did we come into existence? Because, you know, using God's revelation, you could answer that question pretty easily. But using your well, starting point of I think, therefore I am, how do you then get to answer these questions of, say, how did how did anything come into existence? All right, so the, I think, therefore I am, it's just a way to acknowledge that you have some existence in reality. And then you have to show from that there's some difference between your imagination and your experience. So if I imagine a unicorn, I don't see a unicorn in front of me. There's some difference between these two things. You have to get some methodology that can tell us the difference between the imaginary ones and the real ones. And once we have that methodology, we can use that to apply to any idea, like how did the universe come into existence, or any hypothesis or theory, and say, is this one of the real ones or one of the imaginary ones? And so from starting with the I think before I am, and then from that building a methodology to differentiate the imaginary and the real, and then you can use that methodology to test any different theory about how like how the universe is created or anything. And so that's how we go from I think before I am to science to the universe was created in the Big Bang, probably by some physics that we just don't know about. Okay. So I think therefore I am gets you to science and gets you like induction and all those things? Because I feel like you're kind uh, yeah. of you you kind of start there and then you just go to these other things that not necessarily I don't think you have um, shown that there's a basis for that. Uh, well, you start with I think therefore I am, and then you go to there's some difference between my imagination and my experience, and there's this long process of different methods that we tested to see what can tell us about the the reality independent of our imagination and what can filter out the imaginary. And many of those are uh, predictions, falsifiability, novel, novel uh, inferences about the future. There's all these different things that have been added into the scientific method over the years to refine it because mm-hmm. it has been shown to be a useful method to differentiate imagination from reality. So the, I think the 4AM as a starting point is the first step. And the second step is how do you differentiate imagination from experience? And there's whole, a whole history of hundreds of years of scientific progress that has been gone into figuring out what does count as a way to differentiate imagination. Okay. And that's where you get the justifications for induction, uh, logic, math, all the different falsifiability, predictability, all the different features of science, simplicity. 
Okay. Okay. So on the question of how did we come to exist? How did anything come to exist? How does science answer that question? How does, you know, this idea of uh, observation, experimentation, observation, hypothesis, testing, how does that empirical observational process come to get us knowledge about, um, you know, the beginning of the universe or, you know, how things came into existence? Well, those are two different questions. The beginning of the universe is purely all empirical science. You just look at the CMB, cosmic microwave background radiation, and infer from that that it had a beginning at 13.8 billion years ago. All of the, the evidence of the beginning of the universe is entirely empirical. But again, our universe, the beginning to our universe, not all natural stuff. That's usually a conflation that happens between um, physics and mm-hmm. Uh, theological conversation. The beginning of our universe is purely just our little space-time bubble in the larger scheme of things. The beginning of everything is, you enter it in essentially the same way philosophers and theists do, which is there's always been something that's existed. Like, I don't know of anyone who thinks there was a literal nothing and then something came into existence. There there's, must have always been something that existed. And so there was never really a beginning to everything, just a beginning to certain things, contingent things. Okay. So there must have always been this necessary thing there to ground the existence of uh, everything. Okay. Um, I do want to introduce you to my friends here in studio because uh, I think they might have a, a couple things to chime in. Um, but Tony Yu, Daniel Adrian, meet Tom Jump. Hi, Tom. Hello, Tom. <laughs> hey, guys. How's it going? Um, I think Tony had something to, to add to what you were just commenting about nothing and everything. So it sounds like you're trying to um, bring in the idea of the multiverse. You're arguing that our universe isn't all there is. Is that right? Sort of. I wouldn't say the multiverse. That's just one of the hypotheses. But every single model in physics says there's always more than just our universe. None none of the models conclude that our universe is all there is. I believe there is no evidence of that claim. Um, In fact, all science says our universe is all there is. So I'm going to uh, default to Stephen Hawking, who said nothing was around before the Big Bang. He also said the universe has not existed forever, but it had a beginning. So this leads Hawking to make further arguments, and, and he leads himself down a rabbit hole because he tries to argue against the existence of God. He said, because there is a law such as gravity the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Now, I, I admire his honesty in saying that there was nothing, absolutely nothing, before the Big Bang. But he's trying to get around the existence of God by saying that the law of gravity will somehow create the universe, which is absurd. So um, I was wondering whether you can comment on that. If I, you th- come back. I think we might have lost him for a minute there. I, don't, I think the call got disconnected. So you might have to recap uh, that for him. Sure, when he comes back. But, so, yeah, so, okay, cool. Sorry about that, Tom. I don't know what happened there, but... Um, yeah, no problem. I, just, I heard a dial tone, was like, oh, you got cut off. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Tony, Tony was uh, quoting some things from Stephen Hawking. So, Tony, do you want to recap those real quick? Sure. Um, as far as whether there's other universes out there, I believe that's really purely in the realm of science fiction. Even Stephen Hawking, the most celebrated physicist in our time, says nothing was around before the Big Bang. He also said the universe has not existed forever. 
but that it had a beginning. And all of this led him to make this statement, which we can see is clearly absurd. Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Nothing can't do anything. But he understands that there was absolutely nothing before the Big Bang. But he's trying to smuggle in this idea that the law of gravity can somehow create everything from nothing. But uh, as far as he understands it, all matter, energy, space, and time were created in the Big Bang. So whatever caused the universe to come into existence cannot be made out of matter and energy or exist in space and time, which leads us to an entirely different realm of reality outside of the purview of science. Can you comment on that? Uh, yeah, so that's kind of a complete misrepresentation of Hawking. So if you actually look at Hawking's models of the Big Bang, he has a very specific kind of singularity time model, or several models, actually, because he's changed it over the years. They all entail something before the Big Bang. It's just what, what you mean by before changes, because time specifically only refers to the, uh, a specific equation represented in general special relativity. Anything beyond that equation isn't time, it's something else. And so in physics, we have this new thing called uh, emergent space-time, which is the amplitude in a few models. So space-time is an energy and matter, are all things represented in general special relativity. And these equations, these models, show that there are things that can exist outside without any of those in the equation, which means there's stuff there that isn't any of those things, but it's other natural stuff. So there's this conflation when you're using the physics terminology and trying to impose it on our philosophical usages of those terms, like time. Uh, in physics, time is one kind of a thing. Space-time is one thing. It's the same thing. There are physical objects that can be bent and moved and shift. And it isn't universal. So, so the fact that there's no time in one thing doesn't mean nothing can happen. It's just there's none of the specific thing represented in the equations of general special relativity in that location. There's other stuff fine. It can do as much as it wants. It's still have causation and effects. It's just not that specific thing represented in that equation. So in physics, all of those terms you use mean a very specific thing uh, related to the equation. They, they don't mean the global kind of all space and all time. It's just our space and our time as represented in the equation. So no one in physics thinks there is an absolute nothing. And when, when people say that there was no before the Big Bang, they're referring to the time, the before, in that colloquial, in that physics sense of there's this very specific thing that that means in relation to the equation. That equation, time represented in that equation, was a zero. And that, that's, it's always going to be a zero because whatever happened before the Big Bang was made up of something else. So when Hawking says there is no space, time, matter, and energy, he means our space, our time, our matter, our energy. He doesn't have anything to say about other kinds that may exist out there. It's only in reference to the equations in general and special relativity. And that is the consensus in physics. This isn't about the, the multiverse specifically. There's dozens of different models of what came before the Big Bang. The multiverse is only one of the different theories. So, and I don't, I don't subscribe to the multiverse interpretation. It's not my preferred one anyway. I'm not sure I agree with your interpretation of Hawking because he made the statement that because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. He's not saying that there is some other kind of a thing that existed before the Big Bang. Well, that's exactly what he's saying. So when he says because there's a law such as gravity, gravity exists. He's saying gravity exists, therefore the universe created itself from nothing which means that there has to be something there, which is gravity, first, and then the universe came from that. So 
you don't have to take my word for this. You can literally just go to Sean Carroll's seminars and where he literally explains this. Actual physicists have said this word to word. I'm just quoting them. Nobody in physics thinks there is an absolute philosophical nothing. It's just not a thing. Right. From gravity only? Or anything in addition to that? Uh, in his, his theory. It's only his theory. Gravity is a law. It doesn't create anything. It, it defines how something so, operates. Yeah. Uh, so again, the, the word gravity is the thing we made up to describe a feature of nature. When he says gravity, he means this feature of nature that exists. If this feature of nature exists, from it, everything else will be produced. That's like so saying the laws of mathematics will increase. Law is describing something that exists. That's like saying the laws of mathematics will give me a million dollars in my bank just because gravity is, has no ability to create anything. It's a law of attraction between no, mass. So, so in, in physics, there is no such thing as an abstract law. Everything in physics, every law refers to a concrete thing that exists in the world. So gravity is a concrete thing. Like space and time is a concrete thing. Which is so why that Hawking's statement is absurd. Because there's no matter, energy, space, or time for gravity to exist in, how could there even be a law to govern such a thing when it hasn't existed yet? Again, because those don't refer to all things. It's just our time, our space, our matter. Which you're appealing to things that there is no evidence of, other universes. And other energies. Physics, when they use those words, space, time, space and time, is one thing it refers to one specific thing, which is the what is represented the the lambda in the equations for general special relativity. There is no evidence for the so things that you're claiming. Else. This is not yeah. science. It's science science fiction. I'm not claiming right. anything. Well, All I'm claiming is that when physicists use the word space time, they refer right. to one thing, which is the lambda in general special relativity. So that doesn't mean everything. It, it does not apply to everything. Right. It just applies to the equation that one equation. So but we got about other kinds of space time, we got it, we're coming up on a break. Still exist without a beginning. Hey Tom, we're coming up on a break, so we're going to have to pause for a couple minutes. If you could hang on the line, um, but it it sounds to me like um, you know matter, energy, space, and time in our universe. Um, you're kind of or you're saying that the scientific you know community is saying that there was the nothing that created something was actually not nothing. It was actually a different form of energy or matter or space or time. Um, So we'll have to dig into that a little bit more on the other side of this break. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to the Apologetics.com radio show, and we'll be right back. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. 
Hi, ladies. Welcome to Open My Eyes. I'm Lori Wilburn. Have you ever asked yourself, what does the world see in me? In 1 Peter 2.9, we read, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It seems to me that the church today is living in FOMO, fear of missing out. We have embraced all the trappings of this momentary life, seeking to fit in rather than being set apart. We have forfeited our holy identities as God's people. Woman of God, let's not forget we have been chosen by God and for God. Let's live in such a way to bring Him glory, who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. To learn more, visit my blog at corechurchla.org. When a fine musician gives a masterful performance, some credit goes to the musician. But don't forget the composer. Hi, I'm Chuck Swindoll. Remember, the music is the composer's gift to the musician. Then the musician applies his or her skill to the composition to draw the best from it, to thrill the hearts of the listeners. What does that mean to us spiritually? God has created us. He's given us spiritual gifts, and now our goal should be His good pleasure in the exercising of those gifts. With God at work in us, we are to live to glorify Him. And that's music to His ears. Pastor and teacher Chuck Swindoll Visit Insight for Living's website at insight.org. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Thanks for hanging with us for the second half hour of our show. We have... Our friend, atheist Tom Jump, on the line. We've been discussing uh, a recent conversation we had on YouTube, which you could check out on his YouTube channel, T Jump, and um, a conversation that I had with him, Jason Gallagher, uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, reasons to believe in God. And we are just kind of having a post mortem, kind of a recap of that conversation. And digging into some of what we covered a little bit more thoroughly. And so right before break, we were talking a little bit about um, the beginning of the universe and what created the universe. So, Tom, um, thanks for hanging with us, man. Just wanted – Yeah, so I, I want to try and – so one of the things is I want to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying um, and then you know continue our conversations. So I want to – so, do you believe that this the universe had a beginning? Yeah. A point at which, okay. So, do you believe you believe there is something that is responsible for creating the universe? Yes. Okay. So, that something is something outside or external to our known universe. Uh, yes, it could actually permeate our universe, but it is definitely something that exists at a minimum outside of our universe independently. <clears throat> okay, so by definition, would it be something – I mean it sounds to me 
something that exists outside of our universe would be a supernatural thing. It's beyond our no. natural. So uh, supernatural and natural don't really have strict definitions in philosophy. There's no such thing, really. It's kind of just a colloquial term. Uh, I use supernatural to mean a non-physical mind of some kind. That's usually what I mean by supernatural. But no one in physics really uses those terms. So right. in physics, the consensus is, is that there is more stuff that exists than the stuff that we know about. And all of the stuff that we know about had a beginning uh, at the Big Bang. All the stuff we know about had a beginning at the Big Bang. Yep. All okay. the measurable stuff. All the measurable stuff. Okay. So you're so I mean so we can't measure those things that are prior to that. Correct. That's but why they're all hypothetical right now. They're all hypothetical. Okay. So there's no observation, no empirical scientific evidence for them. Nope. They're all different hypotheses about what it is, but the uh, one difference okay. I did want to clarify is that all of the different models in physics are uh, combinations of things that have been verified. So the multiverse is a combination of uh, virtual particles and empty energy space. Both of those things have been confirmed to exist with empirical evidence. It's just the combination itself hasn't been. So that's the difference between physics and uh, philosophy and theology, is that the solutions that are presented for what came before the Big Bang are only allowed to be combinations of things that we know, that we have verified exist independent of our imagination. You're not allowed to add anything that is like completely just, uh, we have no basis for in reality. So that's the difference between physics answers and uh, theological philosophical ones. Okay, so it sounds like you're saying that they're made up of things that we can observe. That means they would be existing in our universe as opposed to what you said earlier, which is that they're things that are beyond our universe that we can't observe. Uh, well, no, remember I said it could permeate our universe. So there could be stuff that's in our universe. So then it's in our universe. That also exists outside of our universe in a different form. Sounds like you're saying it's omnipresent. That's one of the possibilities. Sounds like God. Uh, no, I don't think that would work for a number of reasons. But omnipresent is one of the properties of God. Because it could be, well, I, I wouldn't, I don't know, depends on what your definition of God is, but it'd be like a field, like an energy field. That would be the omnipresent thing, but it's the foundation of everything. Yeah. Would you say whatever created the universe is pretty powerful? Sure. Maybe even approaching all-powerful? I don't know what that means. So all-powerful okay. isn't really a meaningful term. Okay. Powerful enough but to create a universe in okay, an instant. So something powerful and something omnipresent. That's yep. two of the omnis right there. So you're starting to... Yeah, the one that most people reject is the consciousness. Thing. Like, There's no reason to believe there's a consciousness that is non-physical anywhere. Especially the consciousness of morality. I don't know what that means. Like, most philosophers are moral realists, so they believe in objective morality, even though they're mostly atheists, so we have morality just fine. Which is the most absurd thing you can say. I can quote... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that sounds like your presupposition there. Like, uh, you could look at the Phil Survey paper, which is the, the poll of philosophers, and you can just Google or control F search moral realism, and the majority are moral realists. Like, I don't know why that, it's just a fact. Okay. So, that was helpful. I appreciate the clarification. But it sounds like to me what you're getting at is something outside of our universe that is beginning to take 
on the properties of something omnipresent, extremely powerful, um, which is, you know, similar to the attributes of the God that created the universe. Um, well, just to clarify, so the all-powerful one, or super-powerful, absolutely, whatever created the universe has to be powerful enough to create the universe, for mm-hmm. sure. The omnipresent sure. one okay. is possible, but not necessary. That one, it's one of the possibilities in many of the models. It isn't required. So, it's not, not the case. But so you're again, two-thirds of the way to, to becoming a theist. model of the universe yeah. from before God. So every, everyone, in, whoever tried to explain the origin of the universe had those two things. So okay. it's not really special for a God. I think Daniel wants to chime in. Hello, Tom. Say hello. So, hi, Daniel. We, hi. So, if we can go back really quickly to, I think, therefore I am. Are you taking that as axiomatic? Uh, what do you mean by axiomatic? Is that your is that your starting point from which you you won't argue it? You're you're just starting from that. Essentially, you're asserting that you think, therefore, you are. Uh, well, I'm, I'm observing it, so I have an experience of thinking, and so I observe, I think. So based on based on your epistemology, how could you prove, we'll give the host this privilege, that, that you're not actually an illusion inside of the host's mind? Uh, you mean, how would I prove to you that I exist? Well, I can't prove to you that I exist, but that's not part of the epistemology. Like that's, the starting point is just that any individual person who does experience can know that they exist as a starting point of knowledge. So whether or not someone else can know it is, is not a part of the epistemology. That's, that's irrelevant to the starting point. Well, epistemo- epi- epistemology from- is about knowledge. It's about how any knower knows. So that's just incorrect. I'd have to correct you there. And then I, what I would want to know as well what? is, yeah, epistemology. Well, really, I, I don't understand what you're saying there. So epistemology is the study of knowledge. Yeah. And so as any individual, I can gain knowledge that I exist. If no one else in the world exists, that's still true. So whether or not you can know it is irrelevant to my knowledge. Yeah. Yes. Which okay. That's what, what we're getting to with this point is how. So what it sounds like is the way that you jailbreak yourself out of the the cogito prison is by essentially reduces to pragmatism, right? So you look at a bunch of stuff and it seems to work, and so you adopt that which works best, right? Uh, no, again, this is the entire philosophy of science over hundreds of years that we adopt that which can tell us something about reality before we can know it. Well, because, for example, you talked about differentiating between, um, you know, that which is real and that which is an illusion, right? Yeah. So how do you know you're not schizophrenic and you're hallucinating? Uh, induction. Like, schizophrenia is a very specific brain function that we can measure with neurology and tests. So we, we can diagnose people with schizophrenia? Yes. So how do you know that you don't have that diagnosis currently? Uh, because I've been to the doctor, and they didn't diagnose me. Okay. So how do you get to, again, from the certainty of your own mind, how do you get to trusting the testimony of other minds? What does your, how does your uh, epistemology account for the doctor telling you that you're well? Because, of course, you could, yeah, you so could have a delusion of him telling you that you're well as well. Sure, so anything's possible. Like, you don't need absolute certainty for knowledge. I think that's what your, what your question is. But you're saying, with. no, you're saying epistemologically the foundation is certain. And I'm saying, so how, yeah. do you, how do you move, what is your move from that which is certain to the less certain, and how do you account for it? Because you're... Yeah, so what we do is we say, uh, what we do is we say that 
when I'm trying to differentiate imagination from reality, there's certain things I can notice. Like I can notice that what I imagine about the world doesn't doesn't represent the world. So if I, if I imagine there is a gold brick in my pocket, there isn't a gold brick in my pocket. Or if I imagine that if I roll a dice, it'll land 20, it doesn't land 20. So my imagination does not correspond to reality. But if I can come up with some kind of a model that can predict the future before I know it really accurately, so if I predict this role will be a six, this role will be a seven, this role will be an eight, et cetera, and it does it very, very well, then that shows, that gives me good reason to believe that that model more corresponds to reality than my pure imagination. Because my pure imagination can't do that, this model can do that, so this model is more likely to correspond to reality, and so we have good reasons to believe that model is true. So probabilistically and, and pragmatically, as I said, it reduces to pragmatism and basically probabilistic reasoning. So for, when we go from... I think, therefore, I am. How do you know that you are, that Tom is, in reality, on your worldview? Uh, I, I exist. So everything that exists is in reality. So I, don't, I can't exist and not be in reality. Okay, so just you would, argue, you you would like, argue that that's by definition. That would be what you're saying. Uh, I guess if you want to put it that way, but I, I don't know... Like, what it means to be in reality is to exist. So if I exist, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what it means. I don't know, how could I exist and not be in reality? So if we, if, we take, if we take for the sake of argument that it's a fact that you exist, you wouldn't argue about whether you exist or not, right? I don't know what that means. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't, accept, you wouldn't accept an argument about your existence because you take as fact that you are existing. Or for, I, or for I example, you wouldn't... no idea what that means. So, like, I, I'm happy, like, if you want to present arguments that I don't exist, I'm happy to analyze them. But, I mean, I can prove them false because I observe myself existing. Okay, so what you've literally done is you've, you've replaced yourself with God. So God is actually more real than anything else. He's the source of reality. There would be no reality. Nothing would begin to exist without his creative act. So you've literally just put yourself in the position of God in the argument. So you're doing... Yeah, you're, I have no idea what you're even saying that, because I didn't replace anything. I'm just, I didn't do any logical work. I'm just observing my own existence. So I, I didn't Yes, but that presupposes things. that you can observe, that you have a mind that can observe. And it also, it also presupposes that your faculties work sufficiently that you can observe that you exist. Do you, do you see no, the it doesn't move? presuppose either of those things. So I can presuppose that my faculties don't work, and I, it's still the case that I can't believe I exist and be wrong. Or I can presuppose that, uh, I forget what the other thing you said was, that I'm, I'm observing. Like, I, I can presuppose I'm not observing, but if I believe I exist, I still can't be wrong about that. So nothing I can, I have no presuppositions in this position, so it's just an observation that I exist. And so it's, it's logically impossible for me to believe I exist and be wrong. So there's, there's no presuppositions there. It's just... I experienced existing. Have you ever heard about the patient who thought he was dead? Do you know this one? Uh, I've heard of a few people like that, yes. Yeah, okay. So the patient goes to the doctor. He says, doctor, I'm dead. And the doctor goes through long chains of reasoning about why he's not dead. Stop me if you've heard this one. And so finally the doctor says, well, let's, uh, let's go with this. So doctor, the doctor says to him, you can't, dead people can't bleed, correct? And the guy says, yeah. So the doctor pricks him and he bleeds. And the patient says, I guess dead people can bleed. That, well, dead people can actually bleed, but uh, that's not the point. So my point isn't that, so I could falsely believe I don't exist, but my claim here is that I cannot falsely believe I do exist. So if I have the belief I exist, there's no way I could be wrong about that. 
So, so it's just the but you're thing. but you're the one you're the one who said that you're that there's some form of observation, like you're observing yourself existing, right? So, how does your mere right. existence get you faculties which can observe and a thinking mind that can think about that those observations and evaluate them? How does that get in there? Well, that's the second part. That's the after you figure out you exist, then you need some way to differentiate imagination from reality. But just Sticking to the point here, like I don't need any to know any of that to know I exist. I can know I exist prior and need to know you exist prior to any of those questions about why you exist. Yes, and what we right? know, what we know, what we know even more certainly than that is that not only do we know God exists, but that you know God exists. But you'll say no, and that's you, not the case. So, but see, right? That's so, pretty obviously not the case. Like you could, we could shock you with a, an electrode in the brain and make you stop or start believing that. But oh, I'll sign up for that. So I'll sign up for that. <laughs> I'll sign up for that. If I, especially if I'm compensated, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, I wish, okay. put me in that clinical trial. No, I, I mean, again, I don't. We can't smuggle in even more assumptions. What the, the point I'm trying to get to what? is, there, I have no idea what you're saying. There's no meaningful distinction uh, in terms of from your point of view, as I understand it, between me saying. Okay, my starting point is a self-existent God, and you saying I somehow know, seemingly without explanation, that I exist, and therefore I am. Now, if you're saying this is the form of an argument, I think from listening to you and uh, on your YouTube channel, you would understand that the I term is both in the premise and the conclusion, which doesn't work. It's the same I. I think, therefore I am. So I hope you don't take this as an argument. It's a bare assertion. Uh, right, it's not. So, so the argument there, if you go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy on Descartes' epistemology, you can literally find the quotes of the philosopher saying this, that the, it's, it's not inferential. It means you don't get the knowledge of the existence from the syllogism. You're not like looking at the syllogism, like, oh, it's valid. Oh, it's sound. Therefore, I have knowledge. Like, no. You already have the knowledge just by your experience, and you're just using the, the argument as a description. So it's like saying... This but, guy is blue. So you would it's describe it as a priori, yes? You would you would what? you would accept that your knowledge of yourself is a priori? Uh not necessarily. No. Like oh. a priori as in known just by thinking about it, yes, if that's what you mean, like analytic. Well, it's prior to any reasoning process, right? Uh a priori is a is reasoning. So so rationality is itself a priori. I don't know. I don't know what you mean by that. So you don't get the knowledge from the argument. You're not looking at the argument and then get knowledge from the argument. You get knowledge from the direct experience of seeing that you exist, feeling whatever, thinking anything. Well, it's from, so the, it's, it's from the general to the particular, right? So you're taking for granted that you exist. What, what, I'm, trying to get at, what I'm trying to get at with the a priori thing is if, if you don't like that term, we can, we can use, I don't know, um, categorical knowledge, if you're familiar with that. Uh, yeah, sure. There's a couple of different ways we can get at the same thing. But what I'm saying is the fundamental here is that's that's not the God hypothesis. That's the God fact. That's the God certainty. What starts... I have no idea what you're saying. So there is a difference between those two. Mine is that it is impossible for me to be wrong if I believe I exist. I'm, I after after Tom's point here, I'm going to jump over to a caller. Oh, okay, cool. But it is easily possible to be wrong in a god exists, just like it's possible to be wrong in the spaghetti monster exists or that a leprechaun exists. Oh, equivocation. God is like nothing else. God is like no other being, no other person. 
God is not like you. That's the mistake you're making. The mistake you're making is you're making yourself, you're using yourself equivocally to God. Now, you are a person, and your personality source is actually from the triune Lord. But I believe we have a caller, if you can hang on. Yeah, let's hop well, over I would to... like to finish my point first, if possible. Oh, so sure, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean Real quick, yeah. Go for it. So it's impossible to believe you exist and be wrong. It doesn't matter. There's no reference to a God. It's impossible to believe you exist and be wrong, because right. you exist. If you have a belief, you have to exist. It's right. easily possible to believe there's a God th- and be wrong. I think what there's I would... Any like there's yeah. possible to believe there's a leprechaun to be wrong. I think, I think but Tom, I think the the reason... The reason we we can know that we exist is because God has created us in 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 that manner, right? I know you could like you could deny Him, um, with your with your words and thoughts, but it doesn't it doesn't denying God never gets rid of the fact that we still exist in His world, and He has created us in His image, and so we will always carry these things with us. Like, yes, we can know that we have self existence. Because we live in God's world, and just denying the fact that God exists, and then saying, "Well, we could still do this, and I could deny God exists," doesn't mean that we've proven that you know God is unnecessary in order for us to know we exist. But I, I did want to hop over to Gretchen. Gretchen, uh, thanks for calling in. You're on the air with Apologetics.com. How are you? I, I think I understand something that might help because Tom understands that he exists because he sees himself and God has a quality that he hides himself. No man has seen God at any time. If he could see God, possibly he would understand the problem that he can't answer your question because so far he hasn't seen him. However, we see him in Jesus who walked the earth. And then the disciples asked Jesus about God, and then he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Maybe that will help. I understand, I think, it's hard for an atheist to say he believes in God, but you understand what I'm trying to point out? Yeah, for sure. I do, Gretchen. I appreciate that. I hope that helps, Tom. I'm praying for you. Thanks. Pray for us, too. Thanks, Gretchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Appreciate the comment. God bless. God bless. All right. Appreciate that call. Uh Uh-oh. Did we lose Tom? Oh, no. Did he? Did did I do that or what? Oh, man. Hopefully he'll call back. Well, Um, I'm I'm hoping that Tom will be given the eyes of faith. Yes, and we're sorry about that. And I, I think just to kind of conclude that little piece what i was trying to point to is the idea of you can start with your own self-existence which is absurd because you had parents uh and you're you're starting at when i mean a priori there's no experience of yourself prior to you existing right you can't go back and look at experience to see oneself so that's from you can't argue from experience about something you haven't experienced yet so i'm trying to clarify that piece Sweet. We got Tom back. Hi, Tom. I think we Sorry, Tom. accidentally dumped you. Sorry. Yeah, I think you hung um, up on me uh, instead of her or both. But like yeah, we are we are jamming towards the end of the show here. How much time? We probably got like, I don't know, six, like eight minutes. Five, six Ooh. minutes left. So um, let's try to move towards, you know, something 
I don't know, more tangible. Um, a lot of this stuff's been pretty philosophical, which is great. I appreciate it. I appreciate, Tom, you uh, hanging in there with us. Um, you know, just circling back to one of the original arguments, Tom, um, you know, one of the first things Romans 1 says is that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood through the things that are made, right? So do you, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, did you follow the the line of thinking that, you know, when you observe something that someone has created, you can learn things about them. Do you follow that? Uh, not exactly. Because uh, someone could create a rock and you wouldn't be able to tell anything about it being created. It would be rather like any other rock. Okay, so when you come across an iPhone, let's say, is there anything you can deduce about who created it? Some of the attributes? Sure, absolutely. Those... Okay. So you so you understand that I, that concept? You yeah, could, for sure. There, if we see something that's designed, we could infer things, certain things about the designer in most cases. Sure. Right. Okay. So that's that's kind of the Romans one kind of argument. It's saying that by looking at creation, you could see things about God, right? And when we look at creation, well, so I, I would I would yeah. ask, how do you differentiate something that's been created versus something that's not been created? Well, everything, everything's been created in creation, right? Um, the sun, the moon, the stars, the, problem, the rocks, right? the dirt, the sand, electrons, protons, neutrons, cells, membranes, uh, DNA. Everything in creation has been created, right? Well, Makes I think sense. that's the problem I was trying to illustrate before. If everything's been created, then you can't tell anything about the creator because the only way to identify something about the creator was like an iPhone because you can compare it to something like a rock and say, well, ah, this has some functionality that the rock doesn't have. Therefore, we can infer that such and okay. such about the person who created it. All right, so let's just... If you don't have a way to differentiate okay. created and not created, then you can't tell anything about the creator. Okay, so let's just look at the universe then as a whole, right? The universe has been created, right? Forget all the details inside of it, but the universe has been created and that universe has certain properties, Right, so just like the iPhone tells us something, the universe itself tells us something about what created it. And even in your reasoning, you, the conclusion that you have come to is that uh, something outside of the universe that is very, very powerful, extremely powerful, and also omnipresent created the universe. And so I would argue that you are essentially marching down the Romans 1 road where you're, you're actually seeing some of God's invisible attributes um, through what has been made, namely the universe. Uh, well, anything has to have some like, sufficient explanation of its cause, and so there are always going to be some minimum properties that are required. And like I said before, every single hypothesis about like, what caused the universe or what knocked over the cup is going to entail the phenomenon itself. Like, oh, the universe is caused, therefore we're going to explain the cause of the universe. So it obviously has to be more powerful than the universe. There's nothing special about that. The Christians didn't come up with that, or, or any God hypothesis didn't come up with that. Like, every single hypothesis, even the naturalistic ones of other religions, have that exact same feature. Like, yes, whatever created the universe has to be powerful enough to create the universe. So you're saying that's yes, self-evident? Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty self-evident. Okay. Then I would say that you've kind of granted what Romans 1 says. 
if, if it's just making an obvious uh, topology claim that any cause has to be greater yes. than itself, then yeah, but I don't, I don't think that's what it says. Well, I th- yeah, I mean, I think this is great. This is a great, great way to conclude the show. Like, it is, it is, it is obvious. Uh, and so we only got thirty seconds, so I'm going to have to wrap. But um, you know, Romans one says that God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, or you could say are obvious, being understood through the things that have been made, uh, so that men are without excuse, right? Um, so, anyways, Tom, I wanted to say thanks for being on the show tonight and I hope that we get to talk a little bit more maybe on your channel next time about morality or, or something along those lines yeah anywhere it's always good yeah thanks for having me on I appreciate it guys yeah. alright man well you take care and uh, we appreciate you and we'll be praying for you man Good night, Tom thank yep. you thank you Jared for being on the ones and twos thanks for the callers thanks Tom thanks Tony thanks Daniel for being here uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening Until next Friday, uh, this is Jason Gallagher with Apologetics.com saying keep the faith. Pray for Tom Job.